Last time we saw in verse 21 that the disciples were wondering which one of them would be responsible for the betrayal that the Lord was predicting, that he prophesied. And we mentioned how a believer can have such confidence in his or her relationship with the Lord Jesus that he or she can boldly say of a truth with God himself as a witness that he or she will never betray the Lord. This is God's affirmation and this is God's promise. Those who walk with him will actually be transformed to be trustworthy and faithful. There's no fear of failure in that respect, in that regard. And that the disciples were spiritually immature, and although it seemed like they were being honest, honesty is not enough. We must be confident in our hope that the fellowship with the Lord is that tight and intact that we will never turn on Him. Hallelujah. But they were immature and they were having problems already being reprimanded by the Lord because of vying for first place and trying to outdo one another here and there and misunderstanding what the Lord was doing and saying and getting themselves into <clears throat> ambition and uh, carnal impulse to try to destroy people who are not tagging along, along with them. They're not tagging along with them, with their crowd. They wanted to destroy them and forbid them. And they had a lot to learn, so they were a bit confused. And they weren't sure of themselves. But everything changed, as we noted last time, after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They became trustworthy men and women who joined them in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Father. They stood the test. Whatever failure they had formerly, they were able to have a very different life after the baptism with the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, the Lord Jesus said, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. I spoke a, a bit about how Judas was not created to be a betrayer, but he chose that path and the Lord simply prophesied what path his life is going to take once he opened the door to greediness and became a thief. This is why there are people who start out as petty thieves 
And that demon behind that theft grows into a huge monster and gets others, other demons. And then that theft can actually lead to a situation where murder occurs. Exactly what happened to Judas. By stages, the demons took over his entire life. Till Satan literally entered into him at one point. And it was all over. We're called to take heed, keep watch, be sober, be vigilant, watch over our own souls. The Lord says, in your patience, possess your souls so that there's no avenue for any demon to get even a toehold, let alone a stronghold possible for a believer to walk victoriously and this generation if there ever was a Christian generation that needs to hear that message it's this one because of so much false teaching so much deception from Satan working actively in the churches in the books that are written that sell in Christian bookstores and that are circulated among church people many of them they truly believe that God is omnipotent but not as much so that he can help them walk clear of presumptuous sin. As I mentioned before, the disciples were very different after the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they also made a choice. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, which means they have effectively turned their backs on sin. In order to follow the light, we have to separate from darkness. In order to go up to heaven, we have to turn our backs toward hell. And this simple concept, even the law of nature, somehow becomes twisted and unintelligible for many, many Christians where they continue to entertain demons. They will lie, steal, gossip, blaspheme, slander and do many, many things. Be very buddy-buddy with the world. Will not care to know nor make the decision to separate from worldly music devil-inspired music. And associations, etc. with the media and people with no separation unto God. Holiness can be seen as an equation. Holiness equals separation plus consecration. The word holiness in the biblical sense has at least two meanings. And the meanings are as follows. One means separation or being set apart. The other means or the other definition is a purification 
from being pure. Set apart and pure. Separation and purification, consecration. Holiness is being set apart for God's use. And also a cleansing or purification. Holiness equals separation from that which is defiling and consecration to that which is godly. The entire life is a clean break with whatever is ungodly and clinging to all that is godly. Separation plus consecration. It's not just being set apart, which means separating from evil, but rather than live in a vacuum, there's a positive inflow of purity that comes in, which is consecration. Usable. I've left that which is defiling and now I'm actually actively receiving and going toward purity whereby I can be used. I can't be used at all if I'm not separated from that which is evil. But I also cannot be used if I don't go toward purification. Very important to note both Separation and consecration equals holiness. The disciples who were doubting themselves, seriously doubting themselves as if to say, it could be, could be me, Lord, that would betray you. I'm horrified at it, but is it me? Is it I? And the person that happened to be Judas and the Lord said, it's good for that man if he was never born to begin with. For the heinous act that he will do. Worse than any assassin in history. This man stole the Lord Jesus, betrayed him with a kiss, and brought his murderers to capture him for money for pieces of silver at that God gives us such confidence that he will give us all the benefits all the healing all the blessings that we need he will give us great comfort he said, call upon me and I will answer you in the day when you're in trouble. I will be there for you. What a promise from God. He said, I will hold you. Uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. The before and after lives of the disciples other than Judas, of course, 
is very important to note so that we can see whether we're actually walking in the Spirit or living as if Pentecost never happened. As if it's not possible to overcome sin. In verse 22 we read now the blessing with which the Lord Jesus blessed. In spite of the activity that's happening, the demonic activity, because it was prophesied and the Lord had to die and he went through all of these things, humiliation, but also this betrayal from one who ate with him and one who he provided for, the one who he created. He suffered betrayal. It was real. It was painful. But the Lord went through it all. In the midst of that, very typical of the Lord Jesus Christ, he thought about us. He thought about the Father's will to execute the will of God to be a blessing to people. And as they were eating, verse 22, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There are two extreme positions by people who call themselves Christians regarding the Lord's table. And one extreme view is that when the Lord said that this bread is my body, that it actually became his body. Now, he had a physical body which was actually distributing this bread. So it doesn't become his body in that sense. There's no transubstantiation happening. All of a sudden, the bread becomes the actual body, pieces of God's body. But there's another view that says it's merely symbolic. Transubstantiation is a doctrine found especially in the Roman Catholic Church which teaches there's a conversion that occurs of the physical substance of this Eucharistic elements as they call them into the actual body and blood of Christ. Where 
It just appears to be bread and wine, but it's really not. The other view is that it, they're merely elements that are symbolic. It's nothing more than just uh, symbolism. Whereas you break the bread, it's like the Lord's body being broken and distributed. But it's still bread. And uh, you just remember what the Lord did on the cross. And that's about it. When the juice is distributed, the fruit of the vine... It just means that this unfermented juice, grapes, is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. You drink it as a community event, and you believe that his blood was shed. As we drink it, symbolically saying that we're taking it in. We're receiving the sacrifice and we're taking it in, but symbolic. Again, the other extreme view, transubstantiation, where the substance gets converted, they believe that uh, juice actually becomes the blood of Christ, but remains in appearance as juice. And it's so consecrated and so... Uh, materially altered that they don't want to throw it away whatever's left when they put it in certain uh, locations specially designed as the elements rot away it's very similar with baptism clearly the Lord said Take heed, this is my body. It's a very, very profound, weighty statement. He's there in person, physically. And his hands or his fingers are not getting converted into the bread as he gives it. But while in his physical body he's giving the elements, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, the Eternal Word, the Logos, is giving this fruit of the ground, the grain that's been used to make bread. And he himself is saying, this is my body. So whereas it doesn't convert to his body the way some believe materially that it's actually a different substance, although still assuming visually at least, the appearance of bread, the appearance of juice, that cannot be. Nor is it as simplistic as a mere symbol. There's something happening where the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that some people who partook of the communion or the Lord's Supper 
or in the Lord's table unworthily have become sick and even some have died. God shows us that the communion table or the Lord's table when it's partaken of worthily can bring healing and maintain health. After all, the Lord says, the one that has life is the one who eats my body and drinks my blood, eats my flesh. So it goes deeper than mere symbolism. There's an impartation for sure. The two ordinances that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples, gave to the church. Are the Lord's Supper, or the Lord's Table, or we make what we call today, we may call it communion, and baptism, in both being the two only ordinances that he gave, are given in detail as to the effect with baptism that we're actually putting on Christ. There's something more to it beyond that initial belief for justification to be saved. This act actually gets us even closer to the Lord. There's some impartation happening. In the physical immersion of a body of a believer into the physical substance of water. Because it is done in his name and understood as representing total repentance, total consecration to the Lord. Actually, if we think about it, it is a response to God to be holy because we're saying goodbye to the world, separating from all that we used to do in love and saying, Lord, I'm yours, I belong to you. That means a person who's obsessed with baseball before they were born again gets enlightened as he or she prepares for baptism, understanding there's not a single thing that has a hold on my life, including sports, music, food, whatever it is, hobbies, nothing. When I get immersed in the water, I'm telling the world, I'm telling the devil, and I'm vowing to the Lord. I'm exclusively yours, Lord. Because I'm identifying with death, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. I'm turning to the Lord. person doesn't become a superhuman being at that point where they have latent power in their fibers and their muscles and tendons and they can leap over tall buildings all of a sudden though they still look like a normal individual they can stop locomotives trains and planes and all kinds of things no 
by way of analogy to transubstantiation, we must say that's absurd. It's not biblical. Nor is baptism a mere symbolic act where we understand intellectually, mentally, the symbolism, and that's about it. It's a great celebration time. We have been initiated into this community of baptized people. No, there's an impartation there. And so there is, when we partake of the Lord's table, worthily. In First Corinthians 11, it's written, that if we would judge ourselves, rightly discerning the body of Christ, have a holy fear, I'm about to take communion, not because some priest is there with attire that is so imposing and appears holy. He has a somber face and things on his head and incense going here and whole dramatic setup in a large building where you can hear echoes and all kinds of figures of apostles and Mary and all these figures and stained glass windows and to just come there with a certain sense of awe. Well, we can feel the same thing in a museum. We can feel it at some amusement park. But the awe that comes from revering God comes through revelation that what I'm about to partake in, even if there are no fancy priestly garments, no one standing in front of me, chanting something, having elaborate utensils and artifacts all over, a tremendous ceremonial atmosphere where so many human beings are caught up. They think emotionally they can get involved in this and feel some religious relief and flavor. It's a total deception. But a person can be in a mud hut somewhere The congregation of two or three be holy, break bread, and drink juice, reverently praying, remembering the Lord's death till he returns. In a true communion service there. The matter of the heart and remembering and understanding God's word. If we would judge ourselves, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31, talking about the Lord's table, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. What is the judgment and chastening that God gives? He can allow sickness, not because he gives it, but the doors are opened. The enemy can have permission. Not all sickness comes from sin. We know that from the Bible. But this is one occasion in which if we partake of the Lord's table unworthily, we open the door for the devils to attack us bodily because we are despising the body of Christ while pretending to partake of it while in sin. And it's written that not some actually, but Many sleep. Many are weak. Many sleep. The reason is they may have been taught this symbolic. You just go there and you 
take a piece of that and maybe they'll distribute it to you where you seat it. And it's all good. It's wonderful. I like this. I feel part of the community. I feel that I'm celebrating the Lord. And I can go back to watching my TV shows. I can go back to drinking alcohol. I can go back to doing anything, being bitter and jealous, lazy. You see, because Jesus is a great Savior for me. He's really not Lord. There's no way a person can partake of the communion table of the Lord without acknowledging Jesus as Lord truly, which means submission to him, similar to baptism. There's a real understanding that my life belongs to him. I no longer continue to do what I want to do, which questions how many people's baptisms are really valid before heaven. Because the prerequisite to baptism is not merely a profession of faith or even genuine salvation. There's a diligent seeking out in the presence of God for any known sin and rooting it out and coming repentantly with sincerity to follow Jesus and Him only. That's true baptism and true observance of the Lord's table is to know that the Lord is actually present there. And that we are coming rejoicing but with trembling. Trembling but rejoicing. Both are there. Too often it becomes a casual celebration. It's a very solemn moment. Nonetheless, a great celebration of what God has done for us. And when they had sung a hymn, verse 26, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered in the King James Version it says all ye shall be offended because of me this night in the NIV it's written you will all fall away and finally in the New Living Translation it says all of you will desert me now this particular verse the King James, along with the latter two, or the last two, are better translations than the New King James. Because the implication here in the New King James is that they will be made to stumble rather than have a responsibility. Because something is predicted or prophesied doesn't mean that the person is free from responsibility. It's showing their weakness. They didn't watch and pray. They were not ready. They fled. The prophetic word was, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You see that in Zechariah. Chapter 13. 
all the scriptures get fulfilled. So in our lives, if we choose to follow the Lord, Lord and love Him, we can claim every single promise in the book that God has given us. But if we choose to disobey after knowing the Lord, every single curse will come looking for us. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Mark 14, 28. There's going to be trouble Now notice, he is going to the Mount of Olives and the Lord is going to go to Gethsemane and eventually get arrested. And here he speaks this way. All of you will desert me. You'll be offended because of me. As Peter would say later, I don't know the man. Afraid for his own life. But notice the Lord says this. This is going to happen because of the prophetic word. It's been already prophesied. And then he jumps to say, I should say he immediately says, as we jump to verse 28, but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. The Lord didn't go into the details of the crucifixion here. And so it is when we read scripture it's not that we read between the lines, but even in progressive prophecy in the Old Testament, and even when we read the New Testament, we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit, not our own imagination and intuition, or what other people have written, necessarily. But reading with a prayer that, Lord, I want to know what you are communicating, Lord. I want to know everything you want me to know which takes diligence and faith and obedience. Because God won't give more light than the light that we're already following that's been given. When we read scriptures, we may see gaps. We may see uh, large sections of events omitted that have been prophesied in the prophecies. But God has given it and distributed as He will, as He has willed. And we're diligently reading and we're asking God and we're taking time. And God will show us more. But the Lord has his reasons for why he doesn't reveal everything in every instance. There was a time in which the Lord said, I have many things to tell you, but I, I can't tell them to you now because you won't be able to receive it. You're not ready. He wanted to convey to them every scripture that has been written will be fulfilled. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Even if all fall away, that is. I'm not going to fall away. Even if everyone's offended because of you, not me, not I. Jesus said to him, truly, or assuredly I say to you, that today, this night, going to early morning, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Not just once. But three times. Is that enough for you, Peter? 
Now, Peter says a statement which I alluded to should be the confession, the good, true confession of every believer filled with the Spirit of God, walking with a clear conscience. I won't do it, Lord. And we don't ever have to betray Him or deny Him. But you see, the true confession must come from a life that is truly watching and praying. Able to have that substance and substantial backup within the person and not just words. How? Because I've been listening carefully to the Lord Jesus, not interrupting Him. Volunteering information and volunteering advice to Him, taking Him to the side and rebuking Him vehemently, trying to prevent His crucifixion, Satan using my mouth and and saying it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. One for Elijah. One for Moses. One for you Lord. Falling asleep there. And then we'll see. In Gethsemane also. He was a very weak man. But he thought he was stronger than he was. But this does not preclude. Any one of us. From knowing our true strength. Because of our faithful. Humble obedient walk with God and be able to profess or confess truly I will never deny the Lord no matter what and end well having kept our word here Peter is speaking something that he cannot back up and so he did fall and that too three times he denied the Lord not even just once but look at his self-confidence which has no foundation because he should have been Christ-confident not self-confident and the only way we can be Christ-confident is when we heed Christ's words God's word in every area of our lives disobedience will lead to delusion we will end up denying the Lord but he spoke more vehemently. He was so sure of himself. He wouldn't take no for an answer from even the Lord himself. And the Lord said, no. You're not going to do what you said. Stick by my side. You're going to end up denying me. When the Lord said that I'm going to go, go get crucified, I have to get crucified. He said, no, Lord. Here the Lord says, Peter, this is what's going to happen. He became even more vehement. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now you listen to me, Jesus. Lord, please listen to me. I'm sorry. Lord, please hear me. I will, do you hear me, Lord? I will never deny you. The Lord didn't continue with him because he was speaking foolishly. Once the Lord says something, we need to close our mouths and be in awe or in fear because God is God. He knows the truth. He is the truth. He will tell the truth. He's not a man that he should lie. He knows everything. We don't. But now the others also join with
all of a sudden, the very men that were not assured of their own allegiance and loyalty to the Lord at the table, saying, is it I, Lord, is it I, am I going to deny you? All of a sudden, they joined with Peter and said, I will never deny you. Is it I who is going to betray you, that is? Now they are confident, will never deny you. And they all deserted him. God is showing human constitution apart from the spirit of the living God. We have no strength, zero strength, all of us, 100% weakness and frailty. As the Lord said, apart from me, you can do nothing. How many of us have been so on the go, drinking the OJ, eating the Wheaties, taking the brisk walk or run, having a regimen where we keep ourselves in condition, we can do anything. And able to think on our feet and take care of what needs to be done for the day and then some. But let one illness come. It quite literally levels and floors that individual where the person becomes utterly dependent on another person and other people. For the most basic of tasks concerning hygiene or food intake, how quickly we are introduced to the true meaning of humility. And even then, some don't take that lesson. They continue on. So the majority of people's eyes are opened that I can do nothing unless they believe uh, good luck is with me. Fate is on my side. But the believer knows better. The fact that I'm taking in oxygen, I'm inspiring and expiring the CO2. The fact that my diaphragm right underneath my ribs are going up and down in a synchronized motion with the rest of my respiratory system. The fact that I'm able to sit and even get up and stand is because there's a God in heaven who by his mercy has let me experience these things. And when my feet that the Lord gave me to operate so beautifully to carry the rest of the body in the right path and I deliberately went the wrong path with the very feet that he gave me used the very body that he gave me for evil and not for good. Sometimes the lesson doesn't come home or hit home until a person is floored. I've experienced that quite a number of times. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have experienced that. Where you literally cannot breathe. You cannot do a thing for yourself. God have mercy. And you know, at the same time, you can see other people doing anything they want. Whereas you think, if I only had another shot at this freedom of mobility and being able to just function, Oh, how I would treasure it as sacred and be careful with the way I use what's been given to me. 
How many people will get old say youth is wasted on the young? If I can only be young again, I wouldn't be foolish as to put alcohol in my body and destroy myself. I could have done so much. I put drugs into my veins or go abusing my body with people, strangers, and recklessly using things given to me for evil. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from the Spirit of God working in a person, we cannot but deny the Lord. We cannot but betray the Lord. And yet the grace that is given can keep us with perfect loyalty to the Lord, with a perfect heart. At the same time, that same powerful grace of God by His love and mercy superabundantly crowning us with His tender mercies. This grace lavished upon us can be resisted and frustrated. So as the saying goes, bite the very hand that feeds you. God who is giving us grace to live right and enjoy Him, His fellowship and all that He's planned for us. We can frustrate it by deliberately spitting on His goodness. Judas ended up doing that. But thankfully, even these disciples who ran for their lives, they were offended because of Jesus. They wanted no part with Jesus. Peter even went to that extent to say, I don't know the man. There's an instance in which the Lord finally turned and looked at him from where he was. Now bitterly Peter wept. What has happened to me? We know a lot more than Peter about human nature, about the flesh, about the devil than he did at that point. Therefore, we have no excuse. When people say, why did I fall? How did I fall? I don't know what's going on with me. Are you a heathen or a Christian? If you're a Christian, you know very well. If you're in sin and you're stumbling, offending and betraying and denying the Lord, either verbally or by your choices and actions or both, you have opened the door to the devil somewhere. The fault is not with the Lord. I have to say, Lord, what did I do? I often tell people, and I've taught this to our children since they were little, the best thing to do when something goes wrong in your life is first of all go to the Lord and say, Lord, did I contribute to something here? that has caused us. Rather than look out into the starry sky at night and wonder which one of these stars is responsible for my fate today. And can I call up someone and get some assurance that it was that person that did it. And surround myself with people who will 
help me play the blame game. Rather, we should say, Lord, I can stand for you, for I will never deny you. Hallelujah. Not only do I know too much about you, Lord, and about your grace, I love you too much to ever turn from you again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a feeling to come to that point. It's not self-confidence. It's God-confidence. Christ-confidence. How? Because I'm walking with Him. Everything God says, if He puts His finger on the radio, on the car, on the house, on relationships, on the way I wear my clothes, what I pick, anything it touches, instead of being stubborn and obstinate and resisting and finding a way to justify myself, I instantly change. That's how you know the Spirit of God is working mightily in a person. The obedience is instant and thorough. Rather than, why can't I go to God with this dress or that dress or holes over here and this one? Well, I heard a message and I believe the person who was speaking was filled with the Spirit of God. And this servant of God said, you ought to dress honorably. Much more than when you meet a president. And I got the point. And there's going to be, there are going to be some changes. I'm going to watch what I wear. Make sure it's pleasing to God, not to me. Hallelujah. Would to God that what pleases Him really does please me or please us. But not everybody's at that point. But one thing is clear. We can never go with pleasing ourselves. The fashion of the day or what I like to wear, never mind what God wants me to wear. Is God interested in what I wear, really? Is He really interested? Well, individually, we need to consider how the truth applies to us. We can't go judging everybody. We don't know everyone's circumstance. But one thing is clear. I can know in my heart, before God's presence, whether I've really asked Him, Lord, what is pleasing to you, and gained an understanding of that and decided I will not do that which is displeasing to the Lord in any area of my life. That person has a backup, has substance to be able to say, Lord, I will never deny you. Because that person is thriving in a love relationship with God. This is exactly what happened to these disciples and apostles. Barring Judas. Further lessons on real, solid Christian walk with God. As we often point out, there are people who say, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. I've walked with the Lord for 15 years and it's been such a great relationship and I'm looking for more from God. It's better not to say anything at all. Because if the truth were to come out, God may say, well, you got saved at such and such a day, but since that day, you really were not walking with me. And it's my grace that's keeping you alive now. Strengthen the things that remain because you're ready to die, as he told one of the churches in Revelation. The disciples had a higher opinion of themselves 
than what the truth could support. Notice what happens here. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James and John with him. And he began to be troubled, deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. When he said the word watch, it was not just to watch out for any criminals that are going to come try to get him. The Lord is so loving, he was concerned about their own souls. We'll see that unfold. In the next few verses. He went a little further. Then fell on the ground. And prayed. My Lord. My Jesus. My Jesus. Suffered. Agony. Even before he went to the cross. As we follow. This narrative. Of events leading to the crucifixion. As we see how the disciples responded, even the inner circle of the three. And you see the Lord's teaching them and warning them, I must take it in. Otherwise, I will just be a bystander, onlooker, spectator with a bit of biblical information with no change in my heart which will be useless and that information will condemn me one day. I'd say, Lord, I see the behavior of these people during the Lord's Supper and before that when they walked with you on the road and the questions they had and the doubts and the pride, the petty rivalry. Oh, my God. And then when they get to the Lord's table, they're thinking they could be the culprit. They could be the person that will betray And then all of a sudden they get so confident that they'll never deny the Lord. And then they are told that they're going to forsake the Lord, but they don't listen. And now they're going to fall asleep at the most critical point. Not only in the Lord's life and mission, but in their own soul's welfare. How do I see this? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to be a keen observer. I'm going to be a good listener, Lord, and a faithful disciple. I can't fall like this. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. Change me, Lord. May my heart be loyal to you, where you can depend upon me, Lord. I see too much of wishy-washiness, frailty, Lord, and Lord, faithfulness to you that is like the morning dew, like a morning cloud, Lord, just disappears. And the price is right from the devil. God have mercy. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So much going on. It wasn't just physical death. It's going to bear the weight every single sin of every single human being for all time. We can only 
get out. Partial understanding of what he may have went through. Such a heavy weight that the Son of God himself is asking the Father, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. This is going on and he's coming back and he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? In other words, Simon, how could you sleep? How could you sleep? Could you not watch one hour? Couldn't you stay awake? Couldn't your soul be alert? Couldn't you grasp the gravity of the situation? And all hell is going to break loose. How can you sleep? You need to watch. Be vigilant, alert, awake, sober. And pray. Not just watch, but commune with the Father, with God who can give you strength to overcome the temptation. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, a snare, a trap from the devil. God wants us to learn to pray at all times. At all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, but also 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice evermore. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What kind of prayer life do I have? How many times has the Lord convicted you that your prayer life is not good? This is why you keep falling. You don't know how to pray. The bigger danger is you don't want to know how to pray. Or, I've told you how to pray, but you're not doing it. There are many things that will come to steal that time with the Lord. But the men and women who did stay awake, who did watch and pray, who were commended by the Lord, giants in the faith, They were very jealously guarding once the revelation came and they knew what they had to do. The prayer time with the Lord and the quality of that prayer time. And it has to be just a pouring out from the deepest part of our hearts. Making a connection with God and hearing from Him and receiving strength where I get up from prayer, strengthened, hallelujah, there's a supernatural transfer that will happen. And if I don't know it and I don't seek it, I won't experience it. But we've got to watch and pray. Otherwise we will fall. It's not enough to say, well, I did pray. But how did you pray? Now, how could you keep falling if you really prayed? When the Lord says, if you watch and pray... You won't give in to temptation. Hallelujah. 
Because prayer will bring power from heaven to the person who actually does it right. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes we need to join with others and have people who are anointed and walking the overcoming life pray for us and pray with us. But even with that, there are those who've been well fed, well read, at least having the scriptures taught to them regularly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Still, we pray very little or in a superficial manner with little to no faith, little to no expectation. that I'm going to get strengthened tremendously to beat the devil the rest of the day. Hallelujah. Or the next hour of this crisis. Hallelujah. I want God to certify that I did what I'm supposed to do by seeking his face. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't say go make your own weapons. He doesn't say go and you muster up your courage and come and let me see. You go and do a thousand push-ups and build some muscle. Let me see if I can use you. He said, all you have to do is come to me. I will train you, build you up, empower you, and give you the weapons to defeat the devil every single time. You will overcome if you watch and pray. Verse 39, again, he went away and prayed. Lord Jesus' prayers were powerful. because he made connection with his father. And he persisted against torture and agony to keep on praying. Hallelujah. Trusting in the Lord and trusting himself to the father and expecting the father to come and defend him. And he did once the mission was complete. Hallelujah. Wherefore he ascended up on high and led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men, and he openly showed all of the powers of darkness, his supremacy, putting them to shame when he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. God wants to exalt every one of us to absolute victory. And it will happen when we are absolutely humble and are quick to do what he told us to do. And say every day, I won't let hell stop me. I know more about the demonic realm, how the devil comes to try to rob me of my time with God where I need to be on my face and seek God and receive that strength to continue to overcome every single day. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words and when he returned he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. I've seen children 
who are able to stay awake one whole day, 24 hours, two days, 48 hours, and even more playing video games. Their body is telling them, you've got to get some rest. But they're able to exert their will and say, not now. I've got to get some more points here. Easily going to three days. I know some adults who their bodies tell them, you can't go on like this. You've got to get some sleep. It's been 36 hours and you haven't slept a wink. But they said, no, I don't care. I'm going to dance and die dancing if I have to. This music is too stimulating. And the sights and sounds, I'm just given over to them. There's an exertion of the will. There are those who have to stay awake in class. Instantly they fall asleep. On the job, they fall asleep. But not when they're having fun. The Spirit of God shows us that when our communion with God, when our communion with God has vitality, that the faith will be strong enough and active enough to tell our body what to do and what not to do. And it will follow. That saying, where there's a will, there's a way. It's true to a large extent. To strengthen the will, we have to spend time with the Lord, watch and pray and overcome everything that tries to keep us from falling on our face before God. And here's a scenario. There are people who haven't done that and all of a sudden, they're quickened to realize the desperate need for this in their lives and they begin, but then they stop and they fall flat on their faces, not before God, but before the devil. And then a season goes by where they continue to disobey God and allow other things to come and choke the word and choke the prayer life away. And they may start again, but it's really not what it should be. And they kid themselves that I'm starting, I've done it, I've had it in my journal, and tell the whole world about it, broadcast it on Facebook. Make themselves feel good and fall flat again on their faces, not before God, but before the devil. But then there comes a point where for some, they say, I'm not looking to advertise anything but I want the real deal. I want to connect with my Father so He can change me and give me real strength where I can stand against the enemy and overcome Him. Hallelujah. We need to know where we are in that spectrum of a prayer life. Be honest and say, Lord, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. But I know you can make it good enough. Hallelujah. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to have a time where I'll tell my family, please don't disturb me. 
this one hour, this two hours, these two hours, I'm going to be seeking the Lord. And not feel pharisaical that I've done something better than them or, no, remain humble and broken. And if anything, emerge from prayer, proving that it works by being more loving, letting God's life flow through you, being more full of joy, being more thankful, not come out judging everybody. That means you haven't really communed with God even if you spend 16 hours in the closet, so to speak, on your face before God. But here the Lord says the strength that you need to resist and overcome temptation will come by watching and praying. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Is rest a bad thing? Is sleep a bad thing? Yes. When the soul is in danger, it's a bad thing. When God says, I'm telling you right now, you have to bring your body under subjection and do what's necessary for your soul and for others. We can overcome. And the more we practice pleasing God, the easier it will become to please the Lord. The devil will put up a big fight, cause all kinds of chaos and internal conflict and emotional chaos within the person and through others and through events But once you establish that, I need to know what my father thinks about my soul today. I need to know if I've received what my father so graciously has for me today. I will miss everything today. But not this. Hallelujah. The hour is come. And before that he said, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The advantage of grasping what God has for us And having a real self-assessment in God's presence. And then crying out to God and saying, Lord, change me. Change my prayer life. Lord, my God. Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. In my thoughts, my words, and my actions. And I'm finding it impossible, Lord. I keep failing. I keep failing, Lord. And the reason the failure happens is because there's a power failure in the center of one's life. There's no connection to the source, which occurs only by prayer. Diligent, fruitful prayer, where results come 
My soul is actually strengthened to be more humble, less talkative, where necessary. And a great deal of expectation, faith grows. The secret to an overcoming life and true godliness has communion with God at the very root. Because his presence changes a person from the inside out. If the prayer is entered in with diligence, discipline, and faith. Hallelujah. Diligence. Praying with all my heart. When I have to pray in agony, agonizing prayer, like Jacob wrestling, with God I must do it discipline to have the set times and also throughout the day this worship lifestyle oh Lord not just Lord be with me while I drive before I start driving which is good but many prayers after that and a continuous stream of prayer where we are telling the Father Son and Holy Spirit, I love you. I need this, Lord. And I thank you for it, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I love you. And what if the Lord says, do you? Really? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And then do this. A person can only say, I love you to the Lord sincerely if they obey what he says. That's the only love he knows coming from any one of us. We couple these things with what we've learned about prayer and the assurance that we can have that we are loyal to the Lord, to the Lord and will be loyal to the Lord is possible and expected by the Lord. It's all possible and expected by the Lord in our lives. And what would happen if we are a community of people who consistently beat the devil down through God's power every time he comes and dangles his trinkets in front of us, his snares. Like Joseph we stand our ground Refuse it. Like Daniel, we fearlessly honor the Lord all the time. How is it possible? How is it possible that there could be a Joseph like that? With all the power and access. How, How is it possible there could be a Moses like that? With all the power and access to pleasure. How is it possible there could be a Daniel like that? With all the possible access to power and pleasure. 
and spit at the devil's offers for comfort and luxury and pleasure deception and pride that will take them away from God just spit at it not touch it they fear the Lord we can be sure although it's only written about Daniel explicitly that he prayed three times a day and surely like Nehemiah he would have prayed throughout the day but at least three set times are recorded we can be sure Moses was conversing with the Lord otherwise that justice would not have been running in his blood we can be sure Joseph was communing with the Lord he was praying continuously otherwise he would have fallen when the devil came with that very strong temptation but he beat the devil he stayed pure these men could not be bought with pleasure or money or power trip any such thing it went to the point to say in the scriptures that Moses actually counted the reproaches of Christ better than all the riches all the pleasures all the sin of Egypt he said I'd rather suffer with the people of God that's my treasure because I know it's going to honor the Lord and I can forego and do away with any other personal comfort so that I can be God's perfect will what character none of us can ever say Lord I don't know what's happening I don't know why I'm feeling like this I guarantee you Daniel never had to say that Joseph never had to say that Moses never had to say that Job Noah Enoch Samuel all Old Testament people Deborah Abigail so many people we have the great joy to say Lord I'm just thrilled to know that things can turn around for me I know I'm frail Lord I can't do a thing right I cannot none of us can do a thing right before the Lord not one thing apart from his grace but through his grace I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me including telling my body what to do and when to do it in perfect alignment with the Holy Spirit watch and pray lest you enter into temptation for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak it's not a conclusion that the flesh is going to be weak to drag your spirit down no you need to crucify the flesh and strengthen the spirit what does it take to strengthen the spirit feeding on the word of God for dear life and if we have slacked off which can happen if we're not watching we need to get back to that 
and said, Jesus, I have such a beautiful communion with you, reading the word. At certain points in my life, oh, I want that, Lord, and I want more. And Lord, I used to pray so much, and so much with faith, and receiving answers from you, and getting strength during the prayer, but now it's not like that. I want that back, Lord. And Lord, I used to have a beautiful fellowship with my brothers and sisters, seeking the Lord together, having no animosity, no evil suspicion, no jealousy. The moment that one gets that, I need to get it too. Or if they spoke up, I need to speak up too. No, none of that. Just a humble servant of God and servant of others. That's what I'm happy with, Lord. Just like you. I need fellowship where I come in and I become part of the solution bringing true humility, true brokenness, true sincerity, and true faith. Hallelujah. We can never fall if we watch ourselves. Add the divine qualities that God said to add. And maintain a living, vital relationship with God, fellowship every day. Having the diligence, the discipline, the faith. Having a real holiness, separation and consecration. Strong prayer life. Genuine holy fellowship with others who are like-minded. This is what the apostles had and the early church not only grew in numbers, they grew in strength of every individual in his or her character. Glory be to God. Through the avenue of prayer, we can receive supernatural answers which will just absolutely astound us. The more we press in we will come out victorious more than we asked or imagined. Glory be to God. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Oh Lord, you said that your soul rejoices when you spoke to the Father because you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent of this world but revealed them to babes, babies, little children. Father, so it is, we rejoice before you, Lord, oh, my Father. You've shown us, Lord, the keys to the kingdom, the secret to an overcoming life, a powerful life, full of freedom, full of prosperity, that cannot be shaken by any storm, any trial. Oh, Jesus, we know we're frail, Lord, within you. We are strong. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to make sure our spirit is strengthened daily and the flesh is crucified, that we tell ourselves and our bodies what to do according to your perfect will. Oh, Lord. Thank you for making it so plain. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in your truth and say, Lord, I thank you. And act on it. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.